Cliffcentral.com. Hello, hello. Uh, okay, so last week we did a parody of a document published by the Department of Non-European Affairs in 1962 to facilitate relations between white South Africans and their Bantu servants. And we kind of made it into a joke <laughs> because it, it reads like a joke, but it it isn't really. And it's kind of the mind-blowing thing is that this was a real government document published 54 years ago in apartheid South Africa. Um, and 50, 54 years ago is nothing. It's less than a, a lifetime. You know, my mom is what, in her late 60s? So this is, this is mind boggling to me. And I always think, gosh, you know, there exist South Africans who have lived through two completely different eras. But I guess you, you never have any real concept of that. I've never seen a document like this, right? So my concept of apartheid South Africa is what was taught to me in history. Yeah, me too. In high school. And mm-hmm. this stuff was never ever taught. Well, for obvious reasons, because either we would have cracked up uh, laughing or we would have been enraged, right? We would have been so like completely traumatized as kids. Yeah. Um, or, or, or I wonder because at the same time, I wonder how normal this was. You know, if this was just a normal government document and this was handed out and this was but if, a sense of normal, then but if I, mm-hmm. how, how enraged would we have been? You know? If I'd had to think, right, that my friend's mom, when I went to her house, saw me in the way reflected in that document, right? Because it was her generation. It was, it was, it would have been her and her parents, mm. right? Who were, who were indoctrinated mm. and who, who con- consumed everything in there. Um, and really it was brainwash. But anyway, if I, if, if I had realized the gravity of the perceptions white South Africans had about black South Africans as a child, we're, we were oblivious and there was that buffer period around reconciliation and the rainbow nation and, you know, yeah. um, all of the kind of PR management that, that happened around the, the transition and, you know, everyone was kind of pacified. And that's, that's, it's kind of that facade, I always say, that's starting to, to, to come off now, to wear off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but at least for me, like I, I'm glad, man. I'm glad I didn't. I I did. I didn't real, realize those things. Yeah, I agree. And I guess why I was actually so happy <laughs> to have found this is because it's nice to know what we need to deconstruct. Yes. You know, I didn't. I didn't know what was being fed to white South Africa. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. You know, we just knew and we could speculate and we could speak from our experiences. Yeah. But it's very nice to see it written down. You know, this was but in a way a strategy. What well, it was a strategy. It's you also know, to... crazy how sanitized our history has been. Yeah. I didn't know. Like I thought I knew apartheid history back to back. This thing shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> like it it really it moved me. I was and still am in awe. You know, and the, almost the only way, and this is part of why, at least for me, uh, it was helpful to, to start with this as, as a joke, like a parody. Yeah. Right? Because that's kind of become the only way I can come to terms with, with history and with a lot of things that happen in the world is I've got to like sieve the seriousness out of them mm. and like laugh hysterically. I literally like treat 
reality like a satire and that's the only way that I can palette it or engage with it, you know? And that's kind of like the the power of comedy for me. Yeah. I actually find that I don't do it so that I can take reality in well. I rather do it so that those that feel attacked mm. can can find it easier mm. to manage. Mm. I guess it's a bit of both. Yeah. So where on earth, Tulida Cindy, did you dig this thing up? <laughs> um, it's actually an amazing friend of mine. Um, whose name I won't mention, but she. <laughs> Wait, <hold on. laughs> Wait, is she a descendant of the the Department of Non-European Affairs she might be. of 1962? She might be, yeah. Is this like one of her family's artifacts? <laughs> I actually, I'm not, I'm not sure how she That's found hysterical. it. Yeah. Who do you hang but out with, knows? girl? Girl, ain't nobody got time to be explaining <laughs> my friend circle. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so she found it very interesting and she's a white South African woman. I, I didn't actually quite ask her how she stumbled on it, but she, she just sent it to me. <laughs> she said, Oh my goodness. <laughs> you have to see she this. She thought it's time to expose, to expose the family heirlooms. It's yeah. time. <laughs> exactly. And it's so nice to actually get it from someone that is grappling with this as her own history. Mm. It's actually, it's, it's, it's quite incredibly bold of her it is to want to debunk it you know because yeah. i think that is that at least must be part of the the pain is that you know gosh the the, the forefathers of white south africans mm. and the architects of of apartheid, apartheid were, were fathers and grandfathers yeah you know what i mean yeah. and i take so much pride in my family history and mm. in my grandparents and what they did mm. but imagine having now this very kind of conflicted very contentious yeah uh feeling inside you yeah absolutely and you know one of the things that i think we had to establish sort of the the climate of our conversations that we had to establish is that we've all inherited this thing mm. right it's not that they are just victims and they are just culprits mm. you know we've all been thrown into this thing that makes no damn sense yeah and sometimes we find ourselves um, defending or supporting things just by virtue of being from that lineage, yeah. but you know, and and it's it's because of um, feeling like blame is is yeah. implied or sometimes explicitly said, you know. Yeah. Um, and what what I've really enjoyed about my conversations with her is that she she and I have sort of written ourselves out of it enough mm. to very. Um, I guess objectively to some extent. I mean, it it always remains subjective to a large right. extent, but to at least objectively explore certain constructs that have been fed yeah, to us, you know? Yeah, sure. And I think what you've explained to me about um, terms like whiteness and blackness that I was skeptical of before, right? Um, that I... And we won't go into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just felt like... I. Fe- I fe- but like, felt like first of all they were vague and they were very um, blanket terms and I didn't realize what the value was in them and I very much as a black person wanted to be treated on an individual basis but if you talk now about um, grappling with constructs mm. right and how it's really important to write the individual out of it yeah. because I think we're in a stage in South Africa where we take things so personally absolutely and we take our our own lineage so incredibly personally personally and 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 maybe um our own indoctrination as well so incredibly personally whereas i've always said look no matter what our role or our position is in south africa at the moment in large part we are victims of our socialization and 
of a system of indoctrination, indoctrination, we mutually need to say these are systems that that we were mutually indoctrinated by. Yeah, you know, and yeah. where do we where do we go from there without attacking one another? Yeah, I, I don't know if that sounds idealistic. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. I keep trying to imagine what creates extremisms. You know, so mm. so like. I think it was you that might have maybe introduced me to this term, but um, moral bigots. Mm. And I think it's like the constant denial of someone else's reality. When you have to rephrase and reframe and find all these different unique ways to insist that your reality is true. Mm. You know, I think that's the frustration. If if space for the reality won't be given, then you have to create it. I just hope that ultimately our our pushback as people will become more of a a systemic one and less of a personal one and i think it's it's difficult but i really really wish we would you know stop playing the man Mm. instead of the ball i really do and it's look it's easier said than done right yeah because like you're saying it's 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 hard when it's your reality, you know, it's your day to day, not to take these things personally. Yeah. But at the same time, we know that it exists because of individual realities, mm. you know, that come together to form a collective reality, mm. you know. So, again, a Black Lives Matter situation, for instance, there's enough of those deaths in those ways happening for it to now be seen as a systemic condition. But the one person had to be highlighted and the other one person had to be highlighted speaking of what really strikes me about the first part the introduction in this document is how it talks about how these are (laughs) a sort of moral breakthrough right and and what's scary really really scary to me is that this these guidelines this document was an effort to humanize european and bantu relations yeah and they really, they really do believe it, which means, which means if you can actually conceive of this, which I, I mean, my mind has been blown ages ago, but if you can conceive of this, <laughs> this means that the situation before these guidelines was worse. Yeah. The, I mean, the fuck. <laughs> Dude. It would be so interesting to understand how the relationship was that this was needed. Right? This yeah. like emergency moral intervention and i think the thing the thing is like we always think about morality as such an objective thing um when in fact it's it's quite relative to the norms of the time yeah you know and i mean that that's why there's there's like a lady from america who did all these racial experiments and her name's jane elliott she's quite amazing um but she she always explained how we are born into a racialized society. Yeah. And she was speaking directly about America, but um, I think we can also sort of apply some of her theories to here. Um, but she was saying the only way that you wouldn't be um, conditioned to be racist yeah. or to think racially is if you failed high school dismally. <laughs> because in the high school teachings and the primary school teachings, you're so conditioned to understand things in a very prejudiced way. Mm. And so if... You know, that's your sort of, you know, compass. Mm. That's also what your moral compass gets founded on as well. Mm. The other thing I like about this, though, as much as it scared the life out of me, it really did. 
I think you said that like three or four times. No, <laughs> dude, legit. I, this is post-traumatic stress. <laughs> um, but I think there's a tendency among us millennials to to think that everything is unjust, like absolutely everything. And whilst things may be to some extent, we still have to put this country's journey in perspective. Um, if at very least to realize how exponentially change can happen. Definitely, you know what I mean? definitely. Because I, th- I think sometimes we feel stuck when we're not. In fact, the human condition is improving. Yeah, I agree. But it, I think it also, it feels like the things that create change are the things that are the most criticized by far. Mm. And so you sort of sit in a very, very uncomfortable position because you know you have to do it because that's what creates change. But at the same time, that is where all the backlash comes in. Hashtag made sessions. <coughs> <laughs> sorry, what? Well, sorry. Who, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's a very uncomfortable position. This country is very, very good at discomfort, though. Like, I, I will say that. Oh, I don't think so. I, I think, think we're, we're good at denying. I think we're, it's a combination, right? But that's why we're good at it. Cause it's a combination <laughs> of those things, right? It's kind of being good at discomfort via denial. denial. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, look, I remember, I mean, I was watching the daily show and, and Trevor, Trevor said this over and over again. You know, the beauty about South Africa is that we, we, we have these conversations openly. Yeah. These un- and we have these fights and it's, it's uncomfortable, but I don't think we've reached the point of, of being PC that other highly racialized societies, the US, for instance, have, you yes. know, I don't think it's as sanitized yet. I think it is, there is a rawness still. And because it is, it, it's because it's still such recent history. Right. Yeah. That we still have like a fighting chance. But also the other thing, I think South Africa is incredibly, for better or worse, is incredibly resilient. And it frustrates me sometimes because I think we're resilient to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And then we realize, oh no, flip, we, we, we forgot some like critical steps mm. and we have to go back. Mm. Um, and our attention span is so short. It's, really uh, but I mean, short. that's a global thing, right? Yeah. And it, when it's compounded by like South Africanness, mm. you know, much like whiteness <laughs> and blackness, I guess there can be a South Africanness. Um, <laughs> then it's, it's, yeah, shucks. It's, it's, it's very interesting, but I, mm. I think, like I'm saying, it can be a weakness and it makes you realize in a country like South Africa, how exponentially things can change. Just just as you sort of speak of blanket terms like blackness and whiteness and South Africanness. South Africanness. Um I mean even if you look at this document it it basically had two races. It was the European and it was the Bantu. Mm. And that's all there was, mm. you know? And I th- that that sort of spoke to the the legal nature of the blanket, mm. you know, that that legally we were all blanketed. You were white, you were black, you were colored and you were Indian, you know? And, and that's why I guess when speaking about these constructs, it's, it's not an easy thing, but it's, I think, something to be explored because, you know, if we're, if we're dealing with the way that it was constructed, then that's sort of the mm-hmm. angle at, at which to possibly look at it in order to address mm-hmm. 
the de-blanketing of an entire group of people. Yeah, but I think actually what's important here, and almost to contradict myself, you know, something can seem digested because it was ingested. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And I think there are probably subtle ways. In fact, there definitely are subtle ways where I see this document and all, all the ridiculous constructs perpetuated therein, right? I can see them manifest themselves in very latent ways in present-day South Africa. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what I, you know, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because I almost want us to go through it and do some analysis and say, okay, can we figure out in what ways its contents were ingested? Right? In what ways do they still manifest themselves in present day South Africa? Um, in kind of sneaky ways. Yeah. Where like we think we've evolved but we haven't. Yeah. You know, and we think it? we're resilient but we're not. Yeah. And on the other hand, I want us to honestly say where we have actually legitimately progressed. Like let's let's just go through it and, and talk about what's facts and what's fiction mm. in, in in South Africa in twenty sixteen. So really one of the most interesting of all i mean there were, there were a lot of interesting parts but really a very interesting part was with women and how um how in tribal life a woman's always regarded as a minor and she remains under the tutelage of a man mm. and then you know it it sort of describes how you know how she has to be towards her male servant, that mm. even the male servant somewhat gets to be above her just it's by crazy, virtue right? of her being a woman it's yeah, crazy which right? was crazy mm. i never imagined mm. that mm. Um, and and then it makes me wonder today if because to be very very honest like a lot of the white women that I've met seem to always be very apologetic and sort of make themselves um, smaller than they they are you mm, know mm. and I I wonder if this sort of conditioning had to do with that you know the idea that she is below everyone yeah so that's interesting to me because. It first of all explains why they no longer are male domestic workers because it was obviously for them far too much of a, a conflict of, of interest or mm. a conflict of um, inequality. Yes. Right? Um, to work yeah, beneath, to, to work for someone beneath them. Exactly. Yeah. So in a society with entrenched patriarchal values, then certain roles must be gendered almost first and foremost before any other inequality very interesting it's 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 quite fascinating that they they would i mean there is nothing more unequal no power dynamic is more skewed than that of a servant and a master but mm. for them to then build in guidelines on how to uphold or to honor patriarchal values within that yeah where is the limits to your mastery and where is the limits to your your servant exactly and that's not to say necessarily that patriarchy always comes first i think like there's always a cocktail Mm. so i think i i guess the way the best way to to describe it is a persistent tension oh interesting because it it makes me wonder if the the fear of a black man might have to do with that you know that sort of authority that was placed yeah on. that could be part of it but also like don't you find 
So people think racism is, is the most consistent ism. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think sexism is the most consistent ism. I think it applies to all forms of inequality. It, it applies in institutions, mm. right? It applies in the home. It applies in religion. It applies in race. Mm. It's like the overarching yeah. ism is sexism. Because maybe if we resolved all these other ones, that would be the one that would still persist. I think it might be. Because even if, think sexual orientation, mm. right, is the one place where that thing should be fluid. Yeah. But even between a gay couple or a lesbian couple, right, the role of masculine and feminine still are still at odds. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> and I did always used to wonder <laughs> how that can still exist if... If it is a same-sex relationship. Mm. I mm. never quite understood that. So it's very interesting that it could be an ism. Mm. Or the persistence of that ism. I also think what you're saying about that authority then. Translating. Because I didn't know what parts of... Because, you know, black black men in those documents, I think, are referred to much like beasts. They talk about feeding, for yes, instance. Yes, yes. Right? Um, mm. And it wasn't just black men. It was just the bantu, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you were, you touched on fear, the fear that now prevails around the black male figure. Yeah. Um, is that based on a on something patriarchal? Or is that based on something kind of more primitive? Because, like, if you think about it, like, I think there might have been maybe an overarching like consensus that white men are above women. Mm. But the idea that a black man, even though he is black, mm. could still be above you, it's almost like it makes his power even greater That's because really it's weird, almost like man. he could he supersedes the thing that is supposed to make him lesser. Yo. Dude, that's so intense <laughs> <laughs> Which makes him even more powerful. It it can make him perceived as even more powerful if he can supersede something that's so obviously lesser you know i mean according to that time very so fascinating. and also <laughs> very funny was like you know call them by their names <laughs> i mean jeez how wow how benevolent how very very kind and I, it's just crazy that these people actually believed this as they were writing it they thought they were doing the right thing but i'm not going to reinforce that again but it really messes with me um <laughs> So this explains why uh never appear in front of a a male domestic worker in a state of undress. Uh yeah. never allow him to handle underwear or to wash sheets that you've soiled, probably referring to, to your to menstruation, right? Yeah. Um what else? There were other things. Never leave him in this yeah, in the this, care of girls. Yeah. <laughs> or never leave girls in the in care the of, of your male domestic yeah, exactly. Mm. Um and these are all the things now that are, are very inherently, in my opinion at least, <laughs> inherently exploitive mm. about domestic work today. Yes, absolutely. But but look at how they phrase it, and especially with the man. So when they talk about, you know, um, don't expect him to make your bed, wash or iron your mm. underclothing. He's absolved. But, but it says... It outrages his sense of what is proper. And that, oh speaks, my, exactly. and that speaks to the beast. Exactly. <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, it's, it speaks to like. But because he's a man, he's also absolved. Yes. Of all these things. Yes. Which is why. I mean, this 
document is saying by virtue of these things that they, in a sense, are an abuse. Yeah. They're not right. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, the black male domestic is absolved. It's so ironic. And so, <laughs> and so, to this day in 2016, they still fall on the black female yes. domestic worker. Yes, because for her it is not wrong. Because she isn't the right gender. Yes. So now let's talk about food. <laughs> food was very interesting to me. Um, because I think certain principles still apply to this day. Um, what's under the food document is still largely, and I mean like the, the foods that are mentioned, are still largely what would constitute the average employer's gr- grocery list for their domestic workers. I think. Yeah. Actually, I kid you not. For real. And it's so, it, it's so normal. And that, that, uh, that's not just white employers by any means. That still just constitutes the staple diet yes. for a domestic worker in any mm. South African home. I think that's a cross-cutting uh, stereotype. And it's actually the, the staple uh, diet that I've seen with construction workers. Mm. Mm-hmm. With, yeah, so, so those that sort of do hard labor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so the food we buy for the help is always so classist. And even the food we, we buy out of charity. And that's kind of the interesting thing for me is you're paying someone to do a job, but you still take a, a charitable stance towards yeah. them. Yeah. Even though they're providing you a service. By taking that charitable stance, what are you saying? Are you saying you're not paying them enough? Because they have a job. You see what I mean? Yes. This is not a poor person yeah. <laughs> who is in need of charity. Technically, if you have a job, you should not be in need of charity. Yeah. And still you take this very charitable stance because you, you acknowledge that they have less, right? And so, for instance, you'll never buy a halpa quiche, right? Because it's considered middle, middle to upper class. That applies across the board. That's something we've all ingested. And actually, probably what domestic work did when it didn't change in 94 is it actually spoon-fed the rest of us <laughs> a lot of no pun intended. <laughs> um, a, a lot of these values that are are just so outrageous anyway um you always buy her the cheapest things because you think it's what she's used to for some reason but you'd never buy those same things for your pa or even your au pair yeah i i kid you not and it's very interesting because you say you'll buy her the things that she's used to. And then as I read here, how it says difficulty may be experiencing in persuading servants to eat the latter, mm. but they should be encouraged to do so. Yeah. So imagine then if year after year after year after year, there's encouragement for these foods to be the norm, mm. then what else but that <laughs> becomes the absolute norm. And then you think you're being empathic because this document thinks it's being empathic. Mm. It's looking out for the Bantu, right? Yes. The Bantu's nutritional needs. So please encourage them to do so because it's good for them. Yeah. And then you start to think that. That it actually is. That yeah. this is the standard and it's a good standard, no less. Yeah. And you think you're being empathic, but you're not. Yes. Shame. That's <laughs> <laughs> hectic, yeah. You know what I mean? So this is the kind of system that would... Pervert empathy, pervert morality. So there's so many people still in this country who must genuinely think that they're doing the right thing. Guys, yo. (laughs) But they're not. But how, how, how would they know? (laughs) But you know, I guess at the same time, that is why it is very important that there is 
I guess, the safe space to to speak about these things because if someone does genuinely believe that they're doing the right thing, mm. they need the space to be able to be wrong mm. because it's, it wasn't like they were malicious in intent. It's true. Um, and like I said, it's something we all do. And really, the, sim- the solution is so simple. Why not just ask them? Yeah. If you don't know, don't guess. Definitely. Right? Definitely. What they need and what they're used to. Why not then just ask them? But I mean, honestly, if you've got such a shopping and like a very concise shopping list, why ask? Because you were told that, you know, 54 years ago. Yeah. And and also the other interesting thing I, I thought was the last phrase Bantu are used to taking their time about their meals. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Don't expose us. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? I was supposed to speak against it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I retract. <laughs> but I did find that interesting because it was quite a blanket statement mm. about all of the Bantu. Um, but it, it also implied a sort of laziness and, you know, I don't an know. apathy. That is probably the um, one that I liked the most. I didn't get that from it. Maybe because it applies to me, like one hour lunch for who? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. But uh, I was like, no, but if you've got an hour lunch, you're not taking your time. You're taking your lunch. It's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't need to frame the Bantu in that way. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I, I, that was the one, that was the one that didn't offend me. I thought it was like. I'm not offended. Astute. I just thought it's, it, it makes <laughs> us sound lazy. Okay. Damn. No, it, it makes <laughs> us sound like we, we value meals and we value rest and connecting and, you know, I, I think, these are not, I don't know. I guess I'm literally imagining how this would be perceived in the context of this document. Yeah, okay. You're you know? probably right. I'm probably romanticizing you re- it. I'm making girl. it about connection. <laughs> we love nature. I'm making it about <laughs> leisure and rest. <laughs> I'm sure when they were reading this, they went like, oh my God, let's learn a thing or two from these people that enjoy enjoying their meals, you know, but... Oh, please. White people are desperately trying to be (laughs) as unbusy and unstressed as black people. They must lie. (laughs) (laughs) Um. One of the other very interesting things I thought was, you know, in in, um, language communication and their recommendations for it. So they'd say that it it would go quite a long way if uh, the non-European learns the Bantu language, but if they can't, <laughs> they should. I don't know. Mm. I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they should a- adopt Fanagalo. What is that? I still We've don't know what it is. What Fanagalo is? And I don't understand why we don't know anyone who speaks Fanagalo. Does that mean no one cared? No very, one. Very strange. No one took that advice. It's very strange because we know a lot that speak Afrikaans. Yeah. You know, so I think Afrikaans a lot of times was, yeah, you know, the main language used between. I think if this wasn't such a racist document, that would have been a good principle because I do create, I, I do criticize a lot of white South Africans for not, for being here forever and not learning native languages. But is Fanakaloa I don't know. No, but I'm saying what the hell that is. Fanakaloa aside, just the principle behind yes, yes, yes. that. I agree. I agree. Um, and I don't know, I don't think they meant it in that spirit, right? I just, mm. you know, they probably meant it this just like, if you want to communicate efficiently, yeah, learn the Bantu's language. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I, in fact, I thought that was very, um, 
I thought it was very endearing. <laughs> it is, right? Yeah. It's almost like if you want to curry favor, favor with him. Yes, exactly. Um, and I don't have the document in front of me, but what does it say? So it says, uh, use a language he understands reasonably well when giving instruction. And then, but, but it really, it touches on the connection that it makes. It says you'll create goodwill towards you see, yourself exactly. and your family. Exactly. If you're able to exactly. speak so his language. So that was a very beautiful gesture. It is that sentiment. It, yeah. isn't, it isn't purely... Uh, functional. Yeah. And then it, it didn't say, and if that fails, then use Afrikaans or the one you're comfortable with. Yeah. And it said, get Keep almost, going almost, yeah, until you like, reach Fanagalore. Yeah. Get a commonness there <laughs> going. <laughs> so you're both on the same footing with Fanagalore. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Oh, the other thing. Yes. It's that slayed me in accommodation is <laughs> guys, why are servants quarters being fumigated? There's just like <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to read that part? It says that inspections at irregular intervals to see that the quarters are clean together with regular fumigation or spraying with DDT or similar insecticides should be resorted to. Keep going. Keep going. Where on earth do they sleep yeah, while all of this keep, is exactly, happening? Keep okay, going, okay. Keep going. And then uh, separate bathing facilities, a bathroom or shower cubicle, if at all possible, a decent sized galvanized, galvanized bath being the minimum, plus soap and other disinfectants disinfectant. should be supplied. What? Are these people living in kennels? <laughs> That they're being fumigated, <laughs> disinfected. Oh, yeah, you know, I never even thought of that. But as you say that, I didn't. So they do. They yeah. actually think straight up that black people or Bantu people are beasts. Um, because like I said earlier, under food, they refer to feeding as opposed to eating. Ooh. Exactly. But now, to this day, let me tell you, friend, people are afraid. And I'm not going to make it a black thing, but let's make it a poor thing, a poverty thing. right? Yes, it is quite a poverty People are thing. Afraid of poor people's illnesses, yeah. As the, though they were somehow more more fatal and infectious than rich people's illnesses, and it, it can almost be the same thing, yeah. right? But like, for some things, for some people, and for some reason, there is something far more horrifying about a a poor person with AIDS as opposed to a rich person with AIDS. Yeah, you know, definitely. they almost feel like just from basic contact. They can mm. catch it. And that's what a lot of employers feel nowadays towards their domestic workers. Mm. And which is weird because illness doesn't discriminate. But for some reason, people, at, it's almost like people are more terrified in, in, in government hospitals. I am. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, girl. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but the hospitals, the hospitals, the hospitals. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? <laughs> but even if, it's so strange because like, I don't know if, necessarily that i don't know necessarily that poor people have much worse diseases mm. i you know i completely agree i think and the, and this is now a very personal thing that i imagine it's not necessarily that it's a fear that i have but it's a thing that i imagine mm. that if say a rich person had aids they might maybe have access to a good nurse if that's what they needed access to all the right medication access to all the the amount of visits that they need uh, if if they need to do any sort of blood tests mm. that you know all the right equipment would be there to make sure that nothing you know slips out like there's there's maybe a meticulousness that comes with money mm. that maybe at you know but you could still public, catch it yeah yeah definitely but i think you trust you trust the meticulousness 
more but the than thing is, we know the ways in which HIV/AIDS is transmitted, and even yeah. so, like you can't, you know, despite the level of care or treatment that person is getting, mm. you're still going to contract the same HIV/AIDS. So the treatment really speaks to their their own health and not to yours. Yes, definitely, right? definitely. So why do we still think where people of a certain class are concerned, sharing facilities with them, toilets? Yeah. And we, and this is a part of it, you know? We've spoken to domestic workers where they're like, first of all, the minute they start to cough, it must be HIV AIDS. We know yeah. that they're being asked for, for HIV AIDS testing, which is unconstitutional. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. It's happening. And <laughs> it's not just the white people do, doing it either. We know that too. Yeah. Um, and we've spoken to domestic workers where they're not even allowed to wash their clothes in the same washing machine they have to hand wash their clothes yeah i think yeah the paranoia has definitely made us do really really strange things like (laughs) the washing machine stuff um but i think it's definitely founded on i guess no it's not i'm lying (laughs) (laughs) i was really trying i was trying it's no you were were doing so well (laughs) (laughs) i was imagining some things but yeah i i think the the gravity of our paranoia is actually quite ridiculous now. The hours of duty have not changed much at all. It's said that it must be remembered that the domestic servants are human mm-hmm. with social, recreational and other interests and provisions should be made for time off to enable them to follow these pursuits. Did that mean that they didn't have time off before that? I don't know. You but know, I, before I know that this message this still applies to employers in 2016. So Absolutely. keep going. And as a general rule, it says that uh, duty hours shouldn't exceed 10 hours per day with suitable breaks in between. And in addition, domestic servants should be allowed a free day from about 12 noon onwards once a week, as well as a free Sunday afternoon on alternate weeks. So I don't know when we all agree that domestic workers don't get weekends, guys, but we did at some point, right? Yeah. And whenever we speak to these ladies, they have to check if we need them to do something on a weekend or a public holiday, they've got to check yeah, if absolutely. they can get off. Yes. It's mind blowing. If you can't, if you have no free time to go and access, you know, a platform like this, for instance, yeah. at which point do you get to tell your story? And I mean, I, I guess this, I found a little funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the kaffir beer, the kaffir beer call, yes. as they call it. <laughs> but they make it out to be such a sacred and yeah. a spiritual and a religious <laughs> Which I also think is a little <laughs> respectful, actually. Thing, which it isn't at all. It's just a bunch yeah. of people getting drunk. <laughs> but okay. But they literally said their national, their traditional national drink. Is it? Is it Dude, a national it's not drink? My, it's not my national drink. <laughs> and it says that it plays a very important role in the religious and social life of the Bantu. Religious. Mm, yeah, I'm sure they. Mm, it's possible that we justified it that way mm. to ourselves, even. Like, guys, boozes, 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 boozes. <laughs> getting drunk, it's getting drunk. <laughs> it connects me to my spirit. Yes. This is like Jesus and the wine. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and he says, it, it says that it's imperative that he should be placed in a position where he can obtain this most... It is imperative. It's imperative <laughs> that he can be placed in a position where he can obtain this most important beverage in a legal way. Were they getting it illegally? What was going on? This must have been a means also to pacify oh. their servants, right? Because alcohol does that. 
Yeah, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> and this is something still quite prevalent, I think, uh, in certain cultures, certain African cultures, definitely where, um, like, alcohol is often used to pay for land. Oh, really? Yeah, instead of money. What? Oh, mm, okay. For certain okay. transactions. Yeah, if somebody yeah. has helped you, particularly where me- men are concerned, mm. if someone has helped you to move in, you buy them. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And that's like an official thing. And people will almost ask for it. Very interesting. Mm. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Why, why does it, it's ultimately a strong currency then? It is. It is a currency. Alcohol is legit, really legit, legit a currency, which, I mean, is, is another conversation. Okay, well, that's it for me. Like I said, look, it reads like a parody. It does. <laughs> I think most of what is funny, though, is the semantics. It's it, it, it's the words, you know? Mm. And if if you kind of unpeel what it's saying and you, you dig into the principles, many of them still more or less in some ways to apply today. Yeah. But I think like ideo- ideologically, intellectually, there's no person in 2016 <laughs> who wouldn't think this is ridiculous. But then we must interrogate the... I wonder. The, the, okay, let me not say there's always someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or there was people. But in general, right, yeah, from yeah. an intellectual point of view, this is unheard of in 2016. Mm. And so I think intellectually we've definitely evolved what is interesting now to try and figure out is this this juncture between our evolution as intellectuals Mm. and our our practices yeah right as as human beings who are self-interested you know why i struggle to believe in our evolution Mm. although we have made significant progress if if as humans we can still see another human as not human, mm. I do always question how much we have evolved, you know, because all of this, you know, as you were talking about, you know, the beastification of the black man, mm. like, I don't quite see it as any different today, you know? Do you see, but people get their panties in a knot about you using the word maid, right? Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> when, I, and they'll be very indignant yeah. and they'll attack you because they've never used that word. Yeah. But it is definitely far more important that you do not treat her that way. Yes. But they don't connect the two. Yeah. And that, for me, is the danger here. Mm. It's like, we've done a lot of intellectual window dressing. So we're very politically correct. Yeah. Yeah. But come on, guys. You know? Real talk. Yes, please. Okay. And on that note, uh, we, through this process of um, engaging domestic workers on their realities have uh, been writing uh, a couple of insights um and really all we are is scribes um because we can't you know in many ways relate to their experiences but what we finally done is we've put together a letter it's called dear madam and it's to uh the proverbial south african madam who is anyone it's not just a white woman guys it's 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 anyone with a domestic worker yes okay um so i don't want people to divorce themselves because it says dear madam yeah. uh, but we've shared that this week on on social media and in a blog post and it's yeah it's very much it's a letter 
for these women by these women um it's 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 not as serious as all that uh, because actually <laughs> they they don't take themselves too seriously either they, you know they've always got this air of 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 forgiveness and and jovialness and yes, love about humor. them and yes. you know it's it, and really everything they've said is is incredibly constructive and I, I encourage everyone to read it it's called dear madam um and please share it as well tools yeah, absolutely. You can find it on our Facebook page. You can find it on our Twitter page. And if you want to look for it, um, it's madeprojectblog.wordpress.com. M-A-I-D-E. <laughs> um, and there, there is humor to it, but we, we're actually really explaining it as they've explained it to us. They've often explained it to us with a lot of humor. It's, it's, it's really quite funny. Mm, but um, don't laugh it off either. Absolutely. Right. So enjoy the humor, but actually try to engage with, everything that it's saying because the principles are incredibly important mm. i think they apply more or less to some extent in every home with a domestic worker there's something in there for absolutely everyone yes that's it um it's it's got all these different sections so some might not apply to you and some might um but i think it's overall just really worth a read um, and it's almost a response to to this discussion and to to this document called the Bantu Servant and You. It was an un- intentional response, but yeah. you know it's <laughs> it's a chance for you to hear their point of view in yeah. 2016. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you for joining us on the Made Sessions with CliffCentral.com. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter. It's at Made Project. That's M A I D E Project, as well as our Facebook page. You can type in the same thing at Oh no, it's not at just, <laughs> just May Project, and you'll find it. Have Amanda, oh. <laughs> oh, let's try it again. <laughs> Thank you for indulging us, and yeah, have a very good evening. Amanda, away too. Cliff Central Revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.